0: Amen. What a blessing to get to sing in the house of the Lord. And thank you, Doug, and choir and praise team for all that you do in leading us. And what a wonderful uh, time just a few moments ago to sing a cappella and to hear God's people to sing out and loudly rejoice at the work that Jesus Christ has done and saving our souls. As we come today, we are concluding at the same place we began, wrapping up by reminding ourselves that we are to get it right. We are to get our lives right and living in honor and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we come this morning, we know the Great Commission. We know that Jesus Christ left the Great Commission for His disciples and for His church to fulfill. We understand that call that He makes when He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. We understand that it is our call. It is our commission. It is our job and responsibility to go into the world and to minister to all those we find, evangelizing them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those who repent of sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ, we then are charged with the responsibility of teaching, of discipling, of making disciples, of those who have received Christ. We are to be the salt and the light of the world. We are to have a redeeming effect and impact upon our community and upon our culture. Indeed, as we talk about those terms, salt and light, I can't help but think back to when I was a boy working with my father at the sawmill. And it may interest some of you. I was a pilot growing up. Now my dad would saw all day and he would run board, run that bandsaw through the board, through the logs and create boards and slabs. And here's what I mean. He would cut it and I would pile it. I'd stand off at the end of the mill and just stack them up. But I remember one day going down to a rural area in South Georgia and there at the Hart's Farm, we met a man named Mr. Clifton. And Mr. Clifton was one of the hands on the farm and he would work out there with us. He would help us in stacking and piling the boards. But I remember every single day when we went out to work that Miss Hart would begin slaving and working over the stove to cook a meal. That I mean, I'm just telling you it would slap your mama good every day. And it never failed when we would come in at lunch. Miss Hart would have cooked a banquet. She would have loaded down that lazy Susan that spun around on the middle of the table and she would have at least two meats and three vegetables and without fail, there would be a dessert waiting for us inside that kitchen. Any of y'all ever eaten like that? You, you know what I'm talking about? One thing didn't pass me by though. Every single thing that came off that lazy Susan and went on to Mr. Clifton's plate, every single time he took, whether it was meat or vegetable, it didn't matter. Everything that he took off the plate, off the lazy Susan and put on his plate, indeed always ended up doused in salt. He would dump the salt on it. Why are you putting all that salt on it, Mr. Clifton? So that it'll taste better. The line in the sand came when one day Miss Hart came out of the kitchen and she had fresh peach cobbler. I mean, picked the peaches off the tree that morning and then made it up from scratch. And she brought it out and it smelled wonderful. It looked awesome. And she took and scooped out dish by dish a a scoop of peach cobbler, a hefty scoop in each and every bowl. And then she set it around the table and she said, oh, don't, don't, don't eat it yet. Hold on just a second. She went back into the freezer and got a hand turn, turned uh, freezer of vanilla ice cream and she took that out and she put a scoop in each one of those bowls and it was absolutely wonderful. I thought I had died and gone to heaven when I tasted that peach cobbler a la mode. But you know what Mr. Clifton did? He took some salt. And dumped it right on top of that. To which Miss Hart threatened to kick him out of the house and never to let him return. But here's the thing for Mr. Clifton that made it taste better. It seasoned it. It made it more palatable. And we are to understand that that's what God has us here in this world to be. That we are to be salt. We are to be the seasoning of life for those within our community, within our culture. So that as they see our lives, as they look upon who we are and where we are and how we love and serve and worship the living God, they too might be drawn to the gospel. We indeed understand that we are to be the preserving preserving influence of God in the midst of this degenerative culture. Jesus commands His disciples, as we read earlier along with Pastor Ted... Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in in heaven. Paul's letter here to Titus magnifies the call of our commander and king, King Jesus, to be a redemptive force, an illuminating, preserving, and redeeming force in in our culture. We are to reach out to our neighbors. We are to reach out to those who are our classmates. We are to reach out to those who do not know Jesus Christ and call them to come and to follow Him. To come and taste God's grace. To come and be a part of God's redeemed body. Indeed, Will Rogers said it this way. Our lives should be lived in such a way that we wouldn't be afraid to sell our pet parrot to the town gossip. We indeed should have lives that as they are lived out in the context of our community, in the context of our culture, that our lives indeed would point those around us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That as they see our lives, those who know us but don't know Jesus might come to know Jesus because they have known us. And in order for that to happen, we must be a people, we must be a church, we must be a congregation, we must be individual Christians that get it right, that have a direct connection between what we we say we believe and how we behave, we must have a direct connection between our beliefs and our behavior. Indeed, there should be no discrepancy between what we say we will believe here on Sunday morning and how we behave on Monday morning. Why is this so important? So that the Gospel might go forward. So that our witness would be sought and light in the midst of this community. Listen, if we want to have a church that impacts our community, we must be a church that gets a right relationship between what we preach and what we practice. If we want to impact our culture, then we must be Christians whose proclamation is exacted by our lives. We must get it right. That our belief must be displayed in our behavior's In our behavior, each and every day, let's stand now and read those first four passages, first four verses there at the beginning of the book of Titus. Let us remember what we have walked through over the course of these last few months. In Titus chapter one, verses one through four, it says, "Paul." a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago but at the proper time manifested even His word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your peace. Lord, we ask that in the midst of our time today that You would lead us and guide us, that You would direct our thoughts and our intentions. Father, that everything that we say would flow from Your Word. And Father, that it would fill us with, the, uh, with, with uh, truth so that we might apply it in a godly manner so that those around us might see and know that truly, you have saved us, you have transformed us, and that now you are sending us out as missionaries to a lost and dying world. Lord, we ask today that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that indeed the truthfulness of God's gospel of salvation is commended or condemned based upon the lives of His children. We understand that the truthfulness of God's gospel of salvation is either commended or condemned to the culture around us through the testimony of your life and my life, through the testimony of God's children in His church. And so as we come, this is sober advice for practical problems. Titus is filled with many different themes, but among the single theme that guides most of the book, it is this theme that there is a direct connection between your faith and your practice, that there is a direct connection to how to what you believe and how you behave. And so we need to understand that that direct connection shows itself in the midst of our culture by the lives that we live. And so we understand that the gospel is commended or condemned to our culture based not solely upon what God's Word says, but indeed largely upon what God's Word says and how you and I live our lives. As we come this morning, we understand That we are called to be different and we are called to to be set apart. And so as we come to begin this morning, we first want to look there at verse 1 and see that that Paul is writing for the faith and godliness of God's chosen children for the faith and godliness of God's chosen children. He says, listen, I am a slave, I am a bondservant of God, and also I am an apostle. I am sent out to spread the message of Jesus Christ for the knowledge, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. See, the theme of Titus is that there is an inseparable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior Indeed, We'll see in chapter 1, verse 16, that there are some who profess faith in Christ, but by their lives they deny faith in Christ. And we need to be careful. We need to be on guard because that's the temptation for each of us to say that we know Christ, to say that we love Christ, but then to walk contrary to His commands. And we also see and understand that our salvation... Is by God's grace through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, for the faith of those chosen of God, those who are restored with God, those who have a relationship with him. How can you have a relationship with him for the faith through faith? That is how you and I have a relationship with the Savior. In fact, if you look down at chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it says the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. It doesn't say you need to work in order to be saved. It says the grace of God has appeared and brought salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly righteous and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. We understand. We can't work to gain salvation. If you doubt that, then look also in chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we understand from the Old Testament, we understand from the New Testament that we live not by works, but by faith. Indeed, Old Testament, New Testament, it says the righteous man shall live by faith. The justified man shall live by faith. Let me ask you this morning, are you living by faith or are you living by works? our salvation is by grace through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ but understand that salvation is also to bring sanctification it is to increasingly work itself out in us being conformed to the image of Christ and so our good works show forth the truthfulness of the gospel that it is we have been changed and transformed by God's grace and so the gospel and the revealed truth of God's word is the basis for a critique of all false teaching within this world and all instruction in Christian living. There are some that will try and tell you that you need to have good works and Jesus in order to get to heaven. But that is heresy because now you are working for your salvation. There are some that say, well, as long as you've walked an aisle, prayed a prayer and gotten wet in the baptistry, you're good. Never need to question again. But the word of God says, listen, you ought to test your faith. We need to be testing our faith. We need to be making sure that not only Are we children of God through the salvation that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but that we are being increasingly sanctified, made to look more and more like Jesus Christ? Indeed, within the pastoral epistles, 14 times this term good works appears throughout the letters to Timothy and Titus. Here are four times where Titus is telling us why it is important for us to have good works. And I want you to see the connection of what's going on there in verse 1. It says, Listen, I'm writing for the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. See, it's not just enough to know about God and His truth. We need to walk in God's truth as well. That it would actually interact in our life. And godliness is this. God's truth applied and expressed in our good works. And so it says at least four times, uh, four qualifications and demonstrations of what our good works testify to with the world in the midst of this letter to Titus. First of all, in Titus chapter 2, verse 10, it says that good works make the gospel beautiful. They adorn the gospel. And it says it this way, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive, beautiful, adorn that work. Indeed, he says, hey, listen, if you're a slave, you need to live as a slave in such a way that your obedience, your submission testifies to the transformation of your life and that your good works would actually adorn and make the gospel beautiful to those who know you. In chapter 2, verse 14, it says the purpose of Christ's death was actually to make people enthusiastic to do good works. It says this in verse 14 of chapter 2, who Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that... That are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now listen, doing what is good is not just doing what is right, but doing it with the right attitude. That we are to do it with the right attitude. We are to actively engage and pursue it. Desire to do what. Christ wants us to do it, do and do it enthusiastically. We also see in Titus chapter 3 verse 1 that believers are expected to do good works and remind the people to be ready to do whatever is good. In Titus chapter 3 verse 14 it says, our own needs are met when we do good works. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. We walk through, we understand that good works make the gospel beautiful to the community and culture that are watching our lives we understand that Christ's death was actually a part of his atoning work was given so that you and I might walk in the good works that he has for us and do it enthusiastically we understand that believers that Christians are expected to engage in good works we understand that as we engage in good works that's one of the ways that God's providence flows and we minister to the needs of those within our congregation and within our community. And so we see that good works is not to be divorced from the faith that, is saving, that saves us in Jesus Christ. True salvation is indeed received by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but it always transforms the Christians' life so that they walk differently. Understand what it says in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through ten. When it when it says, For by grace you are saved through faith, it is not of works, it is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. In verse ten it comes back and says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works why were we created in Christ Jesus? Let's try that again. We were created in Christ Jesus for for good works that he prepared beforehand that we might walk in. And so it says that we are prepared we are actually created in Christ for the purpose of good works. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25. He's, he's talking about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. He says, but spur one another on to love and good deeds. We understand that not only do we come here to find faith in Christ, we come here to be spurred on, to be moved on to good deeds, to work our salvation out with fear and trembling in the midst of our community. Listen, if we want our homes to be impacted by the gospel, if we want our schools to be impacted by the gospel, if we want our workplaces to be impacted by the gospel, if we want our country, our community, our culture, and our world to be impacted by the gospel, then we must live out the gospel in the midst of everyday life. When the Bible says, when Christ calls us to love one another, even as I have loved you, that is, is our responsibility. We are to live in obedience. When the Romans says, to see as far as it is concerning to us to live at peace, to be at peace with all people. That is what we are to obey. When it says for us to live under the authorities that God has given within the context of our culture, our country, and our world, we are to obey. In the same, When we are told that we are to forgive in the same way that we have been forgiven, that is what we are to obey. When we are told, husbands, to love your wives even as Christ loved the church, that is a commandment that we are to obey wives when you are told to respect and submit to your husband even as christ did to the father that is a command to obey children when you are told to obey and honor your parents for this is right in the lord that is a command that you and i are to obey those are not suggestions those are god's commands and those are good works that we are to walk in we truly have experienced God's goodness and grace and salvation, then we must receive these exhortations to walk in godliness, to walk in holiness. God has given us to these things to be preserving and redeeming forces within our community. And our beliefs are to be grounded in faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and and that works itself out in our actions. Our behavior must never be divorced from our beliefs. And our beliefs must never be divorced from our behavior. But secondly, we also understand from the uh, book of Titus that the culture wants a Christian to conform. We live in the midst of a fallen world. We have problems, don't we? We have issues. There are always things that are going on around us where we are trying to be pressed into the mold of this world. But Paul references here a familiar saying in chapter 1, verse 12 of a Cretan poet, and there he says that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's the culture in which this church exists. And indeed, many times I feel like that's the culture in which we exist. Do you ever feel like that? That as you look around, you're amazed by the debauchery, by by just all of the decadence that our culture lives in, the defiance, open defiance of the living God? See, the culture is constantly trying to seek to desensitize us to the callings of God and the sin of this world. And so there are many, as it says in verse 16, who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. They are detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Chapter 3, verse 3, we see Paul call the church to be different. It says, for we also Also, once were. We have been changed. We have been transformed. But here's what we once were. We were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Let me ask you, have you truly been delivered from that? What is it that distinguishes you from the watching world? Or do you give yourself? to lying, to being an evil beast. No one would admit to that, right? None of us would say we're going down that path. Do we give ourselves to being lazy gluttons? Do we give ourselves to being disobedient to God, deceived of ourselves? And do we give ourselves to being enslaved by various lusts and pleasures of this world? Do we give ourselves to anger and to hatred, hating one another? Well, listen. The gospel says you can be set free from that. He can change you, but the culture wants you to match them. And here's why the culture wants you to live like them. They want you to live like them so that they don't feel guilty in the sin that they are committing before the living God. See, they want us to conform to their standards. They want us to live like they do. They want us to embrace and openly accept homosexuality. Indeed, I remember as a boy growing up uh, watching Seinfeld and they would talk talk about homosexuality and anytime they would talk about someone who was homosexual, they would immediately qualify it by, not that there's anything wrong with that. The Christian culture has gone along with that. We have chosen to ignore and to push aside our viewpoints, not our viewpoints, but God's viewpoints that He reveals within the world. Word, understand this. Listen, homosexuals are no less God's creation than any other sinner who has ever been born. And the gospel is just as much for the person who has a homosexual tendency as it is for the person who expresses heterosexual tendencies outside of the bounds and confines of holy marriage. But we must be clear, the, the qualification is not the type of sin that a person commits. It's that we are sinners who need a Savior. And as we come, we must understand that we cannot ignore God's Word. But it is indeed an atrocity to see and hear the liberal quote unquote Christian churches that dismiss and throw away clear biblical stands on homosexuality so that they might be viewed as tolerant, as politically correct, as open and affirming and accepting of even those things which God says He abhors. We must be clear. God's Word must shape us and form us, not the culture standard. On the issue of abortion, we hear constantly it's a mother's choice. She can do whatever she wants to with her body, yes. But Psalm 139 says that that is not just a mass of tissue. That is a human being who is intricately made by the hand of the living God. And that... That fetus there in the midst of the womb is not really a fetus. It's a baby. It's a human being. It has life and it is created by the living God. And if we would seek to play God and remove that life form from the mother, the mother's womb, then we must answer to him for that stand. Scientists tell us embryonic stem cell research is a good way to make progress in different things and researching different things, but I want you to understand that 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 tissue that they say abide that is nothing more than a mass of tissue that abides within the midst of a test tube is no less of a baby than those that embryo that baby that is in the womb of the mother. We must stand up and we must be vigilant in crying out to the world that we must not live simply by feelings, not just by what we think is right, but by what God's Word says is right. For are we, we must ask ourselves the question, are we to ignore the Word of God and the cries of the defenseless while funding through our tax dollars and mandated health care plans the killing of innocent children and And it's about time that God's church stood up and said, no, we will not. We will take a stand. You want to see hedonism turn on the TV in prime time? Just watch the drunkenness, the debauchery, the, the drug use that defines our culture. Listen, for the church to embrace these things leaves us with a church that has compromised its integrity, a church that has obfuscated God's commands, the, a church that has obliterated its impact on the watching world. We may say with our mouth that we love Jesus, that we serve the God of Scripture, and that we worship Him in spirit and in truth, but understand this, Paul knew the saving truth of the gospel message will fall on deaf ears with in our culture if those who are proclaiming to know Jesus Christ and to have saving faith indeed live no differently than the watching world H.A. Ironside said it this way God forbid that we would ever traffic in unlived truth God forbid that you and I would ever traffic in unlived truth the gospel must change us and must transform us we are called Christians. We should indeed respect and love the name of Jesus Christ and the blood that has flown from Calvary to forgive us of our sin and to set our feet on grounds of righteousness before the living God. We must respect it so that everyone who sees us would know that we are not being conformed to the world, but we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind as we walk daily with Jesus Christ. The culture is going to try to challenge you, to press you, to conform you to their image so that we might compromise the things of God and conform to this world. But we must never, never, never give in, Christian. We must stand firm on God on God's Word and His Gospel. final thing that we want to see this morning is that the Christian, just like the, the culture, is trying to calls us to conform the christian is actually calling back to the culture to be changed we are doing this through the lives that we live for the grace of god in chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. In in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Listen, we have to live a life that is transformed, and as we live, live a life that is transformed by the grace of God, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we will see a world wanting to know what's different about you, what's different about how you respond to the things that all of us, all of us go through. Indeed, we share and show the truthfulness of the gospel by the attitudes of our hearts, the works of our hands and the words of our mouth. Each of them is a unique element that God uses to be for us to be salt and light, redemptive forces upon this world. God, God redeemed us so that He could display indeed His goodness, His grace, and His glory through you and I. And as we live in the midst of this world, we are to live in such a way that the world knows there's a difference. That they understand that when we give our hearts and lives to Christ, I have died to myself and I live to Him. When we come each and every day and we see the Word of God and it calls out sin in front of us, then we submit ourselves, surrender fully to Him. And follow what his word says. God indeed is a God of grace and mercy who can take a life that is the vilest of the vile and he can change it and transform it. For God can change the life and redeem even the hardest heart. He is the one who can touch even the wickedest witch. He is the one who can make the vilest vagrant clean. And we praise him for that. Story is told. I've told it before of a communist agitator who was trying to stir up and, and create a following for communism in Europe back back in the day. And as he stood there, he was telling the community of all the great, great blessings that would come through communism. And he looked around and he pointed down the street that there was a drunk that was stumbling all around that was constant that was always known to be disheveled and he never had anything worth having and he pointed to the man that was stumbling and stuttering around the street and was always disheveled and he looked and he said listen I'm telling you what communism can put a new coat on that man and then there was a Christian standing off to the side and he said ah but yes communism may put a new coat on that man but I'm telling you Christianity can put a new man in that coat Listen, no matter who you are or what you've been through or how you have lived, I want to tell you this morning, the grace of God comes to each of us. And the gospel offers redemption. It offers pardon. It offers a change and a transformation so that we go from what we once were to living for, by God's grace and for His glory, as the choir sung about this morning. Indeed, our desire is the fruitfulness of good works would fill our lives in such a way that the grace and peace of God would be made known in the midst of our family, in the midst of our church, in the midst of our community, in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our world, that God's light and God's salt would be sprinkled all around so that His grace would be seen as, as tasty as as that which is favorable to the senses." God indeed is able to save you this morning. He is able to strengthen you. He's able to sustain you. God is there in the midst of your struggle with sin, in, your, in the midst of your struggling in defiance of His commands. God is there in the midst of that calling out, reaching out, crying out, O oh sinner, come and taste of my grace. Come and see my light. God is indeed in the midst of that drink, the, the problems of life, whether it be drinking or drugs or debauchery, whether it be pornography or adultery, whether it be anger or anger or hatred or constantly feuding and fussing and fighting, whether you are seeking to find value for yourself in material things or other people's impressions of you, it matters not where or what you are struggling with, it matters what you do with the grace of God that is extended to you and I this morning. Indeed matters what we do with Jesus Christ. Because for the Christian, we're not fighting a fight against sin for victory. We're not, we're not fighting our fight against sin for victory. We are fighting our fight against sin from victory. We are fighting our fight this morning with sin from victory because 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ crawled up on a cross and stretched out His arms and received upon Himself the penalty for your sin and mine. In the end, He cried out, it is finished. And with that, He gave up His Spirit, commended His Spirit to God, and therefore He was dead, bearing upon Him the full weight, the full penalty of your sin and my sin. He was buried and laid in a grave for three days but praise God on the third day the Spirit of God came and quickened him made him alive and out from that grave out from that tomb stepped the living God Jesus Christ Himself standing as the commanding conquering captain over sin, death, and hell and it, we need to understand when we repent of our sins when we place our faith in Christ and when we follow and obey His commands we are standing not to fight for victory but to fight for from victory for the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead that day in that cold and dark grave. It's the same Spirit of God that washes you and I and regenerates us when we repent of our sins and place faith in Jesus Christ. As we close this morning. What an amazing God we serve. A God full of grace. And I invite you this morning to come and to taste His amazing grace to repent of your sin, to turn your life to Him, and to ask Him to come, to lead and to guide the decisions that you need to make today. Each of us are sinners. Each of us need a Savior. Each of us need a life that is right before the living God. You want to give, get your right, life, your life right this morning? Give your life. Give your heart. Give your all to Jesus Christ. Father, In this time, we come to Your throne of amazing grace. Father, we ask for forgiveness. We ask that You would forgive us for our sinfulness and our pride. Father, we ask that You would forgive us for uh, the struggles, the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that, that fills each of our hearts. Father, that You would wash us in the blood of Jesus Christ. Stand us up and send us forth as examples of Your grace and Your glory in the midst of this fallen world. Lord, make us ambassadors for You. But We understand in order to be ambassadors for You, Father, first, we have to be touched by Your grace. We have to taste and know the goodness of Your salvation. Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs that, I pray that they would come now and lay down their life as we sing today Of your amazing grace. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing.